0: Good morning, Um, go ahead and stand back up, stand up, I didn't tell you you could sit down yet, oh yeah, you can sit down, sorry, man, got to lead a congregation of disobedient people, this is going to be a tough morning, no, I'm just kidding, we're going to talk about love today too, so I'll try to love you in a minute. We're, about to, uh, we're embarking on this uh, journey called BLESS, and um, uh, at the very end, I'm going to summarize the journey we've been on. Um, to, not today, we're going to talk about um, serving and the context for serving, and it's a word that kind of we, we probably have lost the meaning of um, a little bit in our, in our world. Um, I'm going to try to bring it back. I'm going to a little bit today, too, I'm going to minimize... Um, and we're going to talk about love, and I'm going I'm to drill down, and I'm going to talk about how we love our neighbor, and I'm, I'm going to drill down to one issue that I think is a, a big issue in our culture. Uh, it's probably a big issue in most cultures, but I, uh, for sure in our culture, and uh, so bear with me. There's more to this than meets the eye, but uh, this passage that we're going to start with in Mark chapter 12, um, I, I forgot how many years ago it was, but uh, a lady who is now our uh, deputy director. Uh, who works with me, uh, Lindsay, um, had us focus on this passage, and and it was for a series of time. I think it was six months or a year we had to focus on just this one passage. And I say that to say this, this passage that we're going to read today has so much to it that you could literally, I think, spend years and years and years doing sermons on it and not exhaust the potential of what's being said. Um, so, today I'm going to take a narrow slice of this, Just, I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time, um, we're going to look at this. I'm going to look at the passage, I want to look at the broader text, I want to look at where this text is quoted elsewhere in the Scripture, and then I'm going to close it up as quick as I can uh, and, and really tie it to the idea of serving. Now, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of a roadmap of our day. I tried this in first service. Um, we were 10 minutes over and I was only halfway through my notes. Just be a warned. I'm going to skip some stuff today just you know because it's a nice day outside and I want to get you out there practicing, actually loving people. Okay, So here's what we're going to do. Let's look at the text, Mark chapter 12, verse um, uh, verse uh, uh, 28 is where we're starting, and here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. noticing that Jesus had given it, them a good answer, He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, the man, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Catch that. This is a Jewish scribe saying this, by the way. Is more important to love your neighbor as yourself after loving God is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered him wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is our text. Here, Jesus starts off by saying the greatest commandment, and he starts off, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Now, it's interesting, in the text, there's a context, in the greater context, you get the idea of what the meaning is. When you first read this, you're like, why does He say that? Here's why He says that. God is the only one that's real. This God, the Lord your God, is the only one that's real, is the real God, is the only one. And He's the only one worthy of your love. So, it's interesting as we start talking through love, one of the things I'm going to point out is that so many of us give our love and our attention to false gods, whether it's money, power, your identity, whether it's your family, whatever that false god is in your life, we all have them. If you sit here just for like three minutes, the Spirit of God could probably put a good list for you together that are your little gods that you believe in, that you worship above the actual Lord God this is probably true in everyone's life in this room. We spend our lives just kind of looking for those false gods, materialism or whatever we think is going to make us happy or give us peace, and we put our energy in those things. And he's basically like, first off, give me everything. I'm the only thing worthy. I'm the only thing true. That's what what it's saying. Second of all, he basically says, I want you to love me with everything you have, with everything you have, all your your soul, all your strength, all your mind, everything. In fact, he adds actually four elements. In the original text in Deuteronomy, in the original passage where he's quoting, there's actually only three elements. But now he's added a fourth element, and there's a fourth element, and, and he's added mind. It's interesting. That's not in the original one. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. And keep in mind, this is now a post-Greek society, a Greek society. What did the Greek, what was their God? Their intellect. Think of the Greek philosophers. He's like, even that give the best of your intellect to God. It's really fascinating. Every part of who you are, your mind, your intellect, how do you think, your heart, what do you put your emotions in? What do you put your very um, passions into? with your strength. That's another way of saying how you labor. You work, right? Some of you drive tractors. Some of you work for uh, the veterinarian. Some of you are a dentist. I don't know why you'd be a dentist, but you know, I, you know, some of you do that. You like to get in people's mouth and play around. I don't get it. Everything you do, you, a cop, a stay-at-home wife, a husband, everything you do, everything you labor and toil for, love God in doing that. This is the essence of worship. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Sorry, my cord's pulling down on me. The Lord God wants you to love Him with all that. When it says, love the Lord your God with your, very, with your soul, that's your very essence, your very life, your breath. Love the God, Lord your God with all your life. That means you're willing to give your life to Him. That's the text. And like I said, we could spend, I think, literally years just looking at that and trying to apply it to our lives, and we, we would not exhaust the end of that. Do you get it? But then Jesus does something interesting. He adds in something. He says, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your strength. And then He says this, love your neighbor as yourself. So, why did He add this little piece to it? Why is this in here? Why? Because he asked for the greatest commandment. He gives them actually the greatest two commandments. Here's why. It's really simple. It bears itself out in the text. You cannot love God if you do not love people. It's very simple. If you do not like people, you do not like God. It's that simple. If you do not love people, you do not love God. it's interesting we do this little exercise with people when we disciple them. Um, It's fairly new. They did it to me. Um, We're starting to do it to other people, but it's a great one. We ask them to list out the priorities in their life, okay? So, like, what's most important to you, okay? Now, most people, when you ask them that, they'll tell you what they want to be the priorities of their life. They don't actually tell you what their priorities are because, you know, like Madden football, 19. That would be embarrassing to put number one, but some of you could put that, right? You know, hunting, you know, Whatever, um, being wise. Whatever your little God is, that's fine. Um, but most of us will put what we want it to be. So we'll say God. Yeah, going to be spiritual. Let's put God number one. Um, my wife. Um, hmm. My children. And then they, they they that's what they do. And then almost without fail. And then I go, man, you listed three objects. God, your wife, and your children. Now I'm going to ask you the real question, how are you going to make them the priority? How are you going to do that? Well, with God, it's really simple. God says, hey, give everything to me, your mind, your soul, your strength, um, your heart, give it all to me, love me with all of it, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a bunch of other stuff. In fact, it's funny, like Jesus is summing up these commands. Uh, Moses gave 700, 600-plus commands in the Old Testament. And it's really interesting. It says, there's actually, it, it said that if, if, if the Jews, uh, if Israel would have just learned to, to keep the greatest commandment, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, none of the other commandments would have been needed. But being as we are, I mean, look, I mean, Clackamas County, or Oregon, the state of Oregon, we have this thing called the Oregon Revised Statute. How many rules do you think are in that thing? When, you know, like, let's just look at traffic laws. Hey, drive like you love other people. Dude, that's the only law. If you get a ticket, it's simple. Hey, you didn't love other people, so here you go. <laughs> but they can't do that, right? Why? because we can't love people, so we need like, and I don't know how many there are. There's a lot. There's so many that I once had a deputy ask me as the chaplain, hey, what's the ORS for that? I'm like, I don't know. I know how to use Google. I don't know what the actual rule is. Right? There's so many laws. Why? Because we can't keep the simple stuff. You want to go to your children, hey, love your brother and sister like you love yourself. If they just did that, would you hardly need any other rules? I mean, think about it, but we can't, because we love ourselves quite a bit, actually. We're pretty selfish. So I go and I ask him. I said, okay, you got three objects, God, your wife, your children, okay, how are you going to love them? That's how you love God, love the Lord your God, give them everything, okay? But then I go, okay, how are you going to love your wife? And the stares you get, uh, you know, you're waiting for the drool, you're like, here's a napkin to wipe the drool off. Here is a suggestion, men, if you want to love your wife, just a suggestion. It took me years of marriage to figure this out, but the way you know how to love your wife is you go to your wife and you ask her, and when she gives you an answer, you do it. Boom. I just saved you thousands of dollars in marriage conferences. Now, listen to this. This is so important, okay? A while back, I noticed that I come home, and I give my wife the very end of my day. I'm usually tired and cranky by about lunchtime, and so by the end of the day, I'm just tired and comatose, comatose. comatose. So, one day, you know, I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, I really want to love my wife, and he's like, well, give her a better part of your day. I'm like, oh, yeah, what does that mean? So, I start, you know, I was just thinking this through. And then another thing about my wife is she loves, like, and this is actually what gave me the idea. Uh, the ladies were hosting a tea, and she was really excited about it. Tea time with the ladies. You know, she's into that old English garbage, you know, and stuff. So, I'm like, yeah, she likes tea, you know, in a pot, and you, you sip it, and it's weird. It's almost coffee, but not. It can't even live up to coffee standards. So, but she likes Tea time. So, one day I proposed to her, I said, hey, hun, how about every day around 3.30 or 4, if we're both available, um, we have tea time, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. And, and she loved that idea. And so, you know, for a while now, I think, well, uh, for several months now, I think three or four months now, we've been practicing this. Every day that we're both home um, or can, about 3 o'clock or 3.30, we have tea time and it's just becoming our rhythm because that's how I love my wife. How do you love your children? Maybe you could ask them. Now, my children if I said, "Hey, how can I love you?" this is what they would say. "Dad, let's play Fortnite together." I'm not playing Fortnite. Sorry, right. but we can go hiking. We can do chores together. My kids are like, "That's not loving." <laughs> you know, but Look, begin to observe, find how you can love. If you say, this is a priority in my life, if you say, this is a priority that I want to be important to me, you have to do something about it, and here's the point. Love is doing something. It's not an emotion, unlike they want you to believe in all these romantic movies, because guess what? The emotion leaves eventually, and it's interesting. What I've noticed in marriage, this is what happens. You are attracted to someone, you have an emotion, you want to be with them. Then you get married, and you don't want to be with them. But then you start loving them, and then you want to be with them. It's, inter- it's fascinating. I have to do uh, two international trips this year. I hate international trips. Why? Because about day seven, I miss my wife. I love my wife. I don't, oh, she's sitting over there. Good thing, because I thought that was you, but uh, hopefully I wasn't pointing to the wrong lady. That would have been weird. <laughs> but that's what we want to do i practice loving my wife she loved i mean my wife i mean i'm not kidding she's nearly flawless i'm not kidding you she loves me and i'm like man i'm so awesome I mean, that's uh, i'm not awesome but god you're awesome giving me an awesome wife because i'm not awesome but now i just practice loving her and guess what i want to be with my wife that's how you love The more energy you put in doing for someone or your God will bring the passion out. That's the greatest commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today... Are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk to them, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. How important do you think this is to this great commandment? With your children, you should be talking about it all the time. By the way, I would say if you love your children, you might want to tell them about loving God, the true God. Just saying. I think it's in the text. We should be shouting it all the time, not shouting it because that implies they're in trouble, but reminding them all the time to love God. It's the most important commandment. There is nothing more important than that. I'm just telling you, yeah, work hard, and, you know, don't forget to do your homework, and do it on time, and um, don't play too much games, and all, nothing's more important than love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Nothing. In fact, right now, if you don't get this commandment, I mean, I would almost say, don't bother to come back until you say, I want to live for that commandment. Because sitting in church without knowing this commandment is, is dangerous, if not deadly. Paul says later, he says, like, a person without love is a resounding gong. If you don't have love, you're a resounding gong. I've even personally stopped listening to certain preachers and theologians that I used to love. I love their teaching, it's deep. But I stopped listening to them because they are a resounding gong. Their preaching and teaching doesn't seem to carry a love for people. And I think that's wrong. I don't want to be influenced, I want to love people, because by loving people, that's how you love God. And that's the message. We could literally go home right now, 22 minutes left, I get to preach, if you got that. But I don't think you do, so we're going to keep going. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. 13. So if you faithfully obey the commandments I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, Deuteronomy thirteen three, the Lord your God, um, you must listen to the words. uh, You you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you loved Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy thirty six, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. That's an interesting thing. They were commanded as Israel to circumcise physically, circumcise themselves. What he's saying here is it's got to go inside. It's got to be, I want to circumcise your very heart so that even with your heart, you're giving me your love. Joshua 22, five says this, but be very careful to keep the commandments of the law of Moses, the servant the Lord gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, to so hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you think this is important to God? Do you? In fact, it's interesting Let's pull back a little bit on the text, and we started off, we, we, we read where the person saw his interest, answer was interesting, asked him the question, what's the most important commandment? Right before this, though, something interesting happens, and I think it's important to the whole story. Let's pull back, go right above that. In Mark 12, 18 through 27, this is what it says. This group of Sadducees, and what are Sadducees? It's going to tell you. Then the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. So, this is a group of people that don't even believe in the afterlife, Okay? That's what it's saying. So there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were the preachers of the day. I'm going to use that term. The preachers of the day were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were those group of theologians who didn't believe in the resurrection, uh, or didn't believe in resurrection or life after death. So, so that's their motive. That's their heart. That's what they really believe inside. Keep that in mind. Here's what they do. Okay. So, knowing their motive, listen to their question. Okay. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. I love it when people invent situations that never really actually happen to prove their point. Lame-o. All right, here we go. There were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow. He also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, which we don't believe in, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Now, watch what Jesus does. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise... What is he answering? He's going right to their belief, not their behavior, not what they said. He's going right to their belief system. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So he calls out their assumption and then he answers their question. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, now he's going to go right back, he's like, you know that little belief you got in there? Let's talk about that for just a second. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, that being Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? These were his you know, you know, great-grandparents. Great he is not the God of the dead, but the, of the living. You are badly mistaken. What Jesus is basically saying is when he's talking to Moses, he's talking about dead dudes, but he says, I'm currently their God. He's talking about living dudes. Why? Because the resurrection's real, the life after death is real. And that's what he's saying. So he's using the scripture to go right to their belief. And here's the point of this love is a doing action. It is, but it must come from the inside. It must come from the heart. It must, because you, it must come from a belief that there is a true God who loves you, and in response to Him, you love Him, and because of that, you love people. And it starts here. It starts from the inside. That is true love. Now, let me get really practical here. Let me just get we're going to get really practical with this. It's interesting because so often um, there's a thing that we do that immediately, and I'm going to to say it like this because I want you to think about this. There's something that all of us probably have done, you may have even done it this week, I've done it for sure, that I can tell you right now is what I call anti-love. Basically, you're uh, not loving someone when you do this particular thing. I'm going to say the word and just sit back and let you just think about this. When we gossip about other people, we are in effect not loving that person. When we gossip about other people, we are in effect not loving our neighbor. I think this is screamed through the Scripture, it's slander, gossip, all that, it's talked about so many times, especially in Paul's writings. And I'm just going to give you a very practical example, let's just talk about gossip. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but in your mind, just mentally raise your hand. How many have you gossiped this year? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand, we, otherwise every hand would be up right now and, you know, yeah. You know, I was asked after the service, uh, service, I had like some, you know, like people like to ask you those questions, and this was a good question. Someone came up and says, is there ever a time like, and he gave an example, if your daughter is going to start dating someone that's not a good guy and you know it, is that okay to gossip? I'm like, no, it's the motive. You're protecting your daughter. You love your daughter. Your motive is, hey, don't, you can't date this guy, and here's why. But it needs to be done very carefully because it can quickly get into gossip and kind of pushing that individual down. See, gossip is the very, very opposite of serving. Here's what service is. Service, it's interesting because we think of service as an action, but it really is. Serving is is when you have love for someone coming out from the inside, you want to do something to help lift them, lift them up. That's what service is. That's truly what serving is. When you look at a biblical view of serving, it's the act of loving and lifting at the same time right? I mean, think about that. When uh, you're at Old Spaghetti Factory and your server comes up and he gets your order and stuff like that, you know, um, they're kind of like, hey, you're so amazing, because you're going to pay, actually, but you're so amazing, I'm going to bring your food to you, right? That's what we think of when we think of servers. I worked at Old Spaghetti Factory, so I have to use that as an example. I wish I would have been smart enough when I was at Old Spaghetti Factory to think of serving and loving, because I think my tips would have been better, for one, but that's a bad motive, right? but I could have lifted them up. I'm here to lift you up. I want to humble myself and lift you up. What's gossip? The opposite. I'm going to make myself bigger than you and push you down. You get it? It's funny. Um, When we were doing the study for six months or a year with uh, Lindsay in in our staff meetings, I remember this was the issue that came up as probably the most prominent issue that prevents us from loving people. And it's really, it's not an action, because gossip's an action. It's really a belief in your heart that you're better than them. It's forgetting the grace that God gave you. So many things that are happening there inside. And that's one example. You see, to love someone is to sometimes go and give them the hard news about something that rubbed you wrong or they did wrong. You tell them face to face. Not because you're trying to like, slap them, but because you're trying to lift them up that's love. And there's other pieces to serving, too. There's actually like, hey, I want to do this, but my will is second to my neighbor's will. I'm going to go help them, you know, build a barn. I'm going to go help them move. You know, it's funny, if you used to, if you come to me, and this used to be the case, it's not anymore, but if I knew you were moving houses, like, I would literally, in my mind, mentally think of all the things I was going to be doing the day you were moving, I hate moving. The only thing I hate more than moving is painting. Painting. If, not, not like painting a bird because I can't do that, but like painting a house. If I knew those are coming, I was busy that day, guaranteed. I, I called it, you know, Chris Green time. But after you study this passage for a while, you're like, the idea is like, now you may have a legitimate reason that you can't paint or move or whatever you don't like to do, when you love someone, you're willing to sub-mit, su- uh, subvert your will, to subvert what you're doing to go and help them. There's that piece too. We're not even going to talk about that today. I just want us to focus on gossip for a second. This is what love is. It's like, you're important, and you're important, and you're important, and I love you, and I love you, and I, you're my neighbor, and I'm to invest my very life into you. That is how you love your neighbor, and that is how you love God. That's what the text says. That's what the Scripture reads. In fact, I want to tell you two stories. Um, and Before I do that, I want to make one little point here. Oftentimes, there's a, a quote that is often used. Um, I think we have a slide for it, but don't, don't skip to it. I'll just say the quote because everybody heard it. But there's a, there's a quote that's often used that says, Um, I will preach the gospel, and if necessary, I will use words, okay? That's the quote. I want you to hold that quote for just a second here. But there's oftentimes this idea that service and the gospel are separated. And I want to tell you that 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 is actually, I don't believe that's true. I actually don't think it's true because of the Scripture, um, because remember, the greatest command is to love God. God gave us the great commission, all right? And so there is something we're supposed to be doing, and that is go make disciples. And you can't make disciples if you don't talk. All right? Talking is necessary in discipleship. Right? What if a um, doctor comes in and says, you have cancer, it's treatable. Then gets up and walks out the door and you never hear from him again. Would you say that doctor did his job? No. Even if the doctor is like, the whole time just like pushing you into machines but never talking to you, you wouldn't feel like you had the answer. You don't know what's going on. You don't know anything. I just want to say I believe the gospel is definitely something you have to say. But it's something you do in your actions, too. It's simultaneous, and here's what I'm going to say. If you truly love someone, you need to tell them about the gospel. If you truly love someone, you have to share what is happening in this world, and how Jesus came, forgave your sins on the cross, and all the things that come with the gospel. You have to, if you love them. If you don't, don't worry about it. You know, it's like the dude that's got the little booger hanging right here, and you just don't tell him, because you're not man enough. And guess what? They go, and there's 15 other people, booger right there. You know, I had like, like egg on my chin one time here. I talked to a lot of you, no one told me, until Josh, and then Josh is like, dude, you got egg on your face, like literally right there. Really? Really, people? Don't you love me? <laughs> right? Tell people, tell people, don't gossip, don't like, oh, that dude, the preacher, dude, he's got, he's got freaking egg on his face. Don't do that. That's wrong. You can go to hell. <laughs> okay? All right. Serving someone is always in context of the gospel. The gospel has to be in your service. You can't get around it. Don't sit here and pretend like you can love people without sharing the gospel, okay? The text is clear. We can talk about this all day, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. What does that mean? Okay, and it gives the great, commi- uh, the great commission, okay? The great commission, go make disciples. Well, Lord, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to do that one, it would be like, hey, hon, I love you, but I don't want to talk to you. Or while we're having tea time, this actually happened one time. My wife actually told me, you know, I don't consider it very loving when you avoid changing diapers. And I do. Mentally, I don't know, diaper, the word diaper, messy, she's messy, he's messy. I'm, mentally, I'm like, shh, shh. I have something going on right now that doesn't involve changing diapers. I don't know what it is. I became aware of it, and I'm like, <clears throat> I'm going to change a diaper. I'm going to change a diaper. That loving my wife, if I just ignored it and like, I'm not changing a diaper, I'm not loving my wife. The gospel is is seriously intertwined with the idea of serving. Okay? And let me tell you two stories. They're fascinating. I read the whole article in the other service. We won't have time for that, but let me tell you two stories, two fundamental stories to just get the point across. One is My hero in World War II, actually, one of my heroes is actually a World War II pilot that was the lead pilot for Japan against Pearl Harbor, okay? That's weird, right? Um, Not because he blew up Pearl Harbor, um, which, by the way, the navigators have a history with Pearl Harbor. If you ever want to know more, come talk to me. I'll tell you all about it. That's who I work for. Woo-hoo! Go, Nabs. All right. So, but his name is Mitsua Fuchida. There, several books have been written about him, my favorite is God's Samurai, but he is one of my heroes. In fact, if you go to Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, they have a plaque for each of the major players, you know, Admiral Nimitz and all the and, and uh, uh, Matsua has a uh, plaque, too, right there at Pearl Harbor. It's amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about his story. He, was the, he, did, not, he did not like America. Um, he was probably Confucius as a religion, as a worldview, but he wasn't really a practicing uh, religious person at all. Um, And so World War II starts, and in his mind and in the Japanese culture, there's a very much a sense of honor that when you take a POW, it's, in their worldview, it's honoring to kind of torture or push that that POW, all right? They kind of expect the POW to try to escape. They expect to catch them and and kind of torture them. That was kind of their mentality, this idea like, hey, look, um, it's honoring to go through suffering like your fellow men, that's the Japanese. So, they would get POWs, and there's lots of stories about this. If you ever saw the story on Broken, unbelievable suffering that happened. But in the Japanese culture, that is an honoring way to treat your enemy, okay? So, one of his friends gets shot down um, or uh, taken captive in, um, in a U.S. POW camp. After the war is over, his friend comes back and uh, and them are, are, are talking, and he goes, what was it like? Did they torture you well? What, I mean, what was that like? And he goes, no, it's unbelievable. Every day, these Christian missionary women would come into camp, and they would bathe us, and feed us, and love us. And they gave us unbelievable forgiveness, even the ones who had family and relatives that were killed in Pearl Harbor because of what we did. Matsua didn't know what to do with that. His whole world was ripped apart. He did not know what to do with that kind of forgiveness. What's amazing is he then reluctantly, he was asked to come to America after he came to Christ and share his testimony, and he, he, he talked at this stadium, and he, in his first time, he's confronting a bunch of Americans, and he killed hundreds and, and led the attack that killed many, many hundreds of Americans at Pearl Harbor, and he killed others in war, and he comes up on stage, and they give him a standing ovation. <laughs> the forgiveness. He, what do you do with that? In this world that holds grudge after grudge after grudge, what do you do when forgiveness comes and hits you square in the face? You cannot love, you cannot serve someone without the gospel. And you can't forgive someone until the forgiveness of Christ flows into you. And one day you wake up and go, I'm a wretched man, but His grace is sufficient. That's story number one. Story number two is a guy named Matthew Paris, famous atheist to this day, still an atheist, published an article on Richard Dawkins' website. Richard Dawkins is an atheist. He's He's kind of militant. He believes everybody should convert to atheism. He thinks religion's bad for the world. On Richard Dawkins' own website, Matthew Paris, a fellow atheist, published the following article called, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. I want to read part of this to you just so you can grasp what he's thinking. I encourage you to read this article, it is highly encouraging, but this is an atheist who is seeing the fundamentals of Christianity working out in love and service. Before Christmas, I returned after 45 years to the country that, uh, as a boy, today is Malawi. And the Times Christmas Appeal includes a small British charity working there. Pump Aid helps rural communities install simple pumps, letting people keep their village wells sealed and clean. I want to see this work. It inspired me, renewing my flagging faith in the development, charity, in development charities. But traveling in Malawi refreshed another belief too. One, I have, tr- I have been trying to banish all my life, but an observation I, I have been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God." Now, a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that the Christian evangelist makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good." do you think we're making an impact in this world? I used to avoid this truth by applauding, as you can, the practical work of the mission in the churches in Africa. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package. But Christians, black and white, working in Africa, do heal the sick, do teach the people to read and write, and only the severest kind of seculars could see a mission hospital or school and say the world would be better without it. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate missionaries to help them, fine, but what counted was the help, not the faith. But this doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to the flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I, I, I cannot help observing. Can you believe it? The power of the gospel when we love people is amazing. He ends his article like this. Those who want Africa to walk tall amid the 21st century global competition must not kid themselves that providing the material means or even the know-how that accompanies that we call development will make the change. A whole belief system must be uh, supplanted. And I'm afraid... It has to be supplanted by another. Removing Christian evangelism from the African equation may leave the continent at the mercy of a malign fusion of Nike, the witch doctor, the mobile phone, and the machete. You love people by sharing the truth of Christ. There is no other way. Yes, you have to serve them. You have to lift them up. Yes, you need to stop gossiping about it. You know, how insane would it be if you came across a man who had a skiing accident and was paralyzed from the waist down, and you're like, he can't walk. That's gossip. Insane. Insanity, the gossip that goes on in the church. We have to stop. And this message is for me too, man. I just we got to stop. Years ago, I was with a a dear friend. He actually was the director of the dispatch center, and there was a dispatcher that it was was hard for us to work with. She was, you know, a little bit of a pain, Um, but, you know, after I heard her story, I felt bad for even, you know, because once you hear someone's story, you're like, it's harder to gossip when you know them, right, but um, when you actually hear what's going on in their life, but You know, um, but it was really interesting, and I was talking to this, and I said, hey, I just want to tell you, man, this person, they're like a buffoon, da-da-da, and and Bob looks at me and goes, Chris, I will not be a part of gossip. We're at Sherry's restaurant. Boom. He could have just said, hey, why don't you just spit in my face you don't love people. We have to give the gospel. We have to serve people. We have to love people. This is the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. This is what we got to learn. So let me just uh, summarize this here real quick. We've been uh, doing this, the series called The Blessed Campaign. Let me summarize it for you on the next slide. It says this. Take and pray on this. Begin with prayer. B. See, it spells bless in case. Listen with care, eat together, serve in love, share your story. We're going to talk about sharing your story next week. Uh, Dwayne will be. These are essential. But you know what's interesting? We did serve in love was S. It it, it doesn't, it, it comes here now. This is where we are. This is what we've got to do. In fact, when we don't love people, that's when the gospel gets broken, right? Like when, how many people do you know that don't come to Christ because they met a Christian, quote-unquote Christian, who was just as hateful as they are, right? Don't raise your hand, but everybody in your mind, yeah, right? This is how we love people. The gospel is the driving force for our service. We do not serve absent of this, we serve because of this. Now let's go to that famous quote. Here, go back, Whoop, go back. The famous quote I've heard preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. This is attributed to uh, the, the, the founder of the Franciscan uh, uh, monks, the Franciscan way of life, uh, Fr- uh, Francis of Assisi. I had to think of his name for a second. Francis of Assisi, this is attributed to him. Actually, Glenn Stanton actually wrote a whole article It's actually been pointed out multiple times. He didn't actually say that. Christians use this, I don't know, because they don't want to talk. You know, they don't want to actually love people, you know. They just want to fake love them, whatever. But that's, that's the quote. I've heard it. But here it goes. Here's what Glenn Stanton says. The closest… So, when writing about what he actually said, they couldn't even find anything close. So, he said the closest comes from his rule of 1221, chapter uh, uh, 12, on how a Franciscan should practice their preaching. No brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, nor unless he has been permitted by his minister or the friars Should be and should preach by their deeds. That's the closest he said. So what's he saying? Hey, when you preach, hey, be in alignment with your theology, right? Make sure you're 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 listening to the people above you, but you got to preach with your deeds too. It's it's you got to say it and actually do it. You got to actually love people if you're going to preach it, right? That's what he's saying. It's interesting. uh, Glenn Stanton. He works for Focus on the Family. I had breakfast with him a few years ago. I had no idea who he was. I didn't know he was like some famous like author. So, like, the whole time, I'm like, what do you do, dude? Yeah, yeah, we're, like, eating eggs, and I'm, like, the dumb guy in the room. And I told someone, yeah, I had lunch with this guy, Glenn Stanton. They're like, dude, you know who that was? I felt dumb. Anyway, um, great guy, very humble. Another great quote in there, by the way, um, from Francis, uh, um, or from a different preacher, but I, I saw it. I just thought I'd tell you. The preacher must draw from the secret prayers what he will later pour out in his holy sermons, he must grow hot within before he speaks words that are in themselves cold. I love that. That was my little pep today. Like, yeah. Sorry. If you don't get it, it's internal. So let me summarize this other, let me, let me talk about one other thing. Remember this, belief drives behavior. What's going on, on the inside is going to drive what you're doing on the outside. When you really believe that God is there, loves you, and you respond to that, when you really believe it in here, it's going to be far easier to love people. When you really believe what God has done for you, oh wretched sinner, it's easier not to gossip. I did a mental exercise a few years ago. Like right before I wanted to gossip, I would always like, try to tell myself like, something that you could say about me that was true. And you know and it, it kind of helped a little bit. I try all kinds of tricks. They don't, half the time don't work. like 80 percent of the time don't work. But when it's in here, it becomes real and people are looking for real. The band's coming out. They're going to kick me out. Oh, my gosh, we're 25 over. I'm just kidding. It's only five minutes. (laughs) All right. We carry out the Great Commission to make disciples through the Great Commandment to love God and love your neighbor in the great community. That's what we're called to do. Carry out the Great Commission in the great commandment, using the great commandment in the great community. That's what we're called to do. It's that simple. Everything else is just details to that. Do you love God? Do you love people? Are you willing to wash your neighbor's feet instead of judge their actions? Are you willing? I really hope so. I really do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for using us to carry this out and to be real. It's only through your Holy Spirit that any of us even have a chance of loving people. Only in the transformation of our own heart and soul, and mind, will we have the strength to love people with our lives So, Father, help us remember we carry out the Great Commission through the Great Commandment with the great community. We are part of your people to go and love people so they can see the forgiveness of Christ in their own lives so they can go and love people. This world is badly in need of forgiveness. This world is desperate. Let us be a part of your kingdom to go answer. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.